a lot of kids watching, Billy. Oh, yeah. Hiya, kids. Here's an important message from your Uncle Bill. Don't buy drugs. Become a pop star and they give you them for free. And I do believe uh, it's a commercial break. Thank you, Mr. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rock Strikes 10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. All right, it is now time for part four of the top 50 albums of 2003, according to myself, Joey, right here, your fearless host of Rock Strikes 10. This top 20 is super, super stellar, solid, it's awesome, it rules, it rocks, any other adjectives I could throw on here, but let's get into it right now. Coming in at number 20, a favorite of mine, I know a favorite of a lot of you out there, a band uh, lives just around about four hours away from me in a suburb of Houston, Texas called Katy, Texas. And that would be the second best power trio to come out of Texas. And that would be the great King's X. In 2003, they put out their 10th full-length studio album called Black Like Sunday. And I didn't know this at the time, but the background on this album was it was a handful of songs that had been kicking around that they had had written and maybe even possibly demoed at some point, And they never committed them to any kind of record. But some songs, they really just do have to age before they're really ready to be fully loved and recorded properly and mixed properly and everything and maybe even rewritten a few times and that sounds like the case with this because this is a strong strong outing if not probably one of the most underappreciated outings by king's x i mean maybe even the metal blade era of king's x is very underappreciated like manic moonlight mr bulbous tapehead all that stuff there is some excellent material out there from this particular era the post-atlantic era of king's x but this would be the last studio album from that era. But what a way to go out. This is one, if you haven't heard it in 20 years, you really ought to give this one another spin because it is really, really, really good. By the standard of what you should hold King's X to. How about that? So to get you enticed to get back into this record or maybe give it a chance for the first time, we're going to kick the show off today with a really good one right here. This is King's X with Rock Pile. Turn it up. <laughs> Yeah. 
Kicking off the show here today and getting us into the top 20 of the top 50 albums, the 2003 countdown. That was the great King's X by way of Katy, Texas. And that was Rock Pile from Black Like Sunday, a really massively underappreciated album in their catalog. Uh, here's a band that is massively just unappreciated as a whole. And a band that I've only grown more and more as a fan of over the years, probably especially over this last 20 years. And a lot of it had to do with this particular album. So coming in at number 19 was this comeback record by Killing Joke. So a really easy answer to the, if you had to start off listening to Killing Joke records, I'd recommend the two self-titled records. <laughs> when can you ever say that except in the example of the Bronx maybe? But Because yes, that self-titled album, the 1980 album by Killing Joke, is such a great record, such a great bridge gap between like that post-punk era punk rock metal of course and famously one of the songs off of there the weight was covered by metallica on garage days so their influence branches to a lot of different eras 
of extreme and hard music. And someone definitely had an ear for these guys early on as well, that they went out of their way to contribute to this album. More on that later. But I would like for you to judge this song just strictly based on the song. Uh, the other thing I've really gotten a kick out of as far as this particular comeback album by Killing Joke is the fact that uh, Duff McKagan on his Sirius XM show, Three Chords and the Truth, really good show, and he plays excellent cuts and just locked into the kind of taste that I have, whether it be something cool that maybe people hadn't heard, like a Killing Joke or Girl School or even new cool stuff like Aaron Jones. But this song I'm actually going to play for him and play this song as well. He's basically turned this song into kind of a hit on his show, despite the fact that it's a 20-year-old song, but kind of playing to the people that never really dig into good quality new music, the kind of people that don't listen to music podcasts actively. So if you just listen to music on Sirius, and that's great, hopefully you're listening to Duff's show and you'll hear great stuff like this. And if you happen to be tuning into my show, you'll hear it as well. I remember when I first heard this song as the kickoff track to this record, I was like, holy hell, these guys are not playing. So yes, without further ado, here is the opening track from Killing Joke's 2003 self-titled comeback record. This is The Death and Resurrection Show. Mark out the points, build the player. Assemble different drummers, light up the fire, put on your masks and animal skins. Illumination, illumination, listen to the drums. Between each beat, each beat of the drum. Oh beloved mother of liberty, hold me in your arms. Again, in 
The great killing joke right there, having a cool comeback moment in 2003 with their self-titled album, and that was the Death and Resurrection Show, the kickoff track from said record. So judging that on the surface, what did you think of that, right? I mean, come on, how do you not love that? And they're immediately inspired by it, just like, yes, that immediately got turned up, right, right? Okay, so I'm going to say this a little slow because I'm going to give you time to pre-guess and then we can all say it together. So those excellent power drums from that track and throughout the entire record uh, was done by a guy who was pretty damn famous even at this point. Already played in a couple of bands and such a fan of Killing Joke that he not only was like playing on this record or volunteered to play on it, but he did it for free. So really cool guy. Big fan of a lot of cool stuff. Power drummer. All right, everybody say it with me. The drums were provided by 3, 2, 1, Dave Grawl. Yes, all right, pat yourself on the back. Pretty easy stuff, but hey, that just adds to the overall recipe of greatness of that record. So if Dave Grawl got even just a smidge of people on Killing Joke due to his association with that record, then good. Because that's the record he recorded basically around the time that he had played on one of his other better albums as a guest drummer, and that'd be Songs for the Deaf by Queens of the Stone Age, which he's long said is the best album he's ever drummed on. I think I said that last year on the show. But that Killing Joke one, not too far behind as far as being a drummer. Yes. Oh, man. It just kicks ass throughout. So if you love that song, that's a great example of what to expect if you dive into that record. And by the way, before we get to the next one, speaking of Dave Grohl's association with that Killing Joke album, I have a theory. I've never heard this said by any party whatsoever. But I have a theory that the other reason why Dave didn't take any money for that, and this is purely theoretical, is not only is he a fan of the band, clearly, but I think that he felt guilty about the fact that Kurt ripped off the Killing Joke song 80s, that that riff right there for Come As You Are. I don't think there was ever a lawsuit filed over it. So maybe that's one of those things where he was kind of the guy that squashed any ill will towards uh, both parties involved. That's just a guess, but I don't think that's a bad theory to have out there because Dave is such an ambassador and a pseudo diplomat. So I feel like that's the case, but who knows? Like I said, it's, it's a theory. So, Album number 18 here on the countdown belongs to a favorite of mine, and whether he's solo or with the band that he's known for, he is pretty much always going to darken one of my countdowns because I don't think this man is capable of doing bad records. That's just how I feel, but I will say the fact that he comes in at number 18 here should tell you how strong this top 20 is because that's too low in my book for any album by this man. And this is my countdown, by God, so what am I saying? But... 
Coming in at number 18 right here is the 2003 contribution by one of the greatest frontmen all time, Mr. Michael Monroe, most famously from Hanoi Rocks. And around this time in 2003, yeah, I've, I've talked about it on last year's 2002 episode. I believe that Hanoi Comeback album made the top five of my 2002 records. So Michael, like just a few months after, puts this one out right here. The album is called What You Want. I think the thing that maybe hurt it just a little bit as far as my ranking goes is it's basically a half covers album. And it doesn't really hurt it so much, especially considering the fact that, I'll be honest, I only knew a handful of the songs that he covered on here originally. So it was about 50-50 there as far as like, oh yeah, I recognize that. The other half, definitely not so much. But of course, I'm intrigued to go check out most of the originals of these now. Just as an example, the kickoff track from this record, What You Want, is one of the more famous songs by Eddie and the Hot Rods, Do Anything You Want to Do. And by the end of the record, he's covering a Leonard Cohen song. So, yeah. But in between all that, the original material is of high quality, and that's another reason why it ranked so well. And yes, of course, I'm a Michael Monroe fanboy. I do not apologize for that. The guy friggin' rules. So as a representative of this record, I'm going with an original track and coincidentally really my favorite song on the record, probably besides the Eddie and the Hot Rods cover, because that's real good. But let's go with this one right here. Halfway through the record is this brilliant one right here that just gets you right back into Hanoi mode. This one's called Rumor Sets the Woods Alight. The woods are light 
Okay, the great Michael Monroe right there, coming in at number 18 on the countdown for 2003 with that album, What You Want, and that was the song called Rumors Set the Woods Alight. Cool, cool stuff right there. Very much on par with the stuff off of the 12 Shots on the Rocks album, the Hanoi Rocks album from the previous year. So sticking with the rock and roll, especially from the European side of things, this band right here just seemingly shot out of a cannon in 2003 making the scene with this huge huge debut record and for some weird ass reason I, I think i know why i've talked about this before but the fact that this type of rock and roll is getting critical acclaim in 2003 not after the fact probably less so after the fact but this band right here the darkness with album number 17 and their debut album permission to land this is definitely one of those cases where I wasn't the last one to hear it, but I was one of the last people that should have heard it, if that makes any sense. So I was hearing about this from my friends, and I've long said one of my big pet peeves as an example of when someone goes, oh, Joey, you would like this. And I feel like more often than not, that's a condescending thing. Whether they mean it to or not, it's like, this is what you think of me. And I've said examples of this in the past have ranged from stuff like Dragon Force to Wolf Mother. I'm just like, well, man, you really don't think highly of me, do you? But The Darkness was one of those examples where they're like, Joey, you would probably like this. And they were actually right this time. So gold stars for anybody who did that. Probably my friend Brian Tomerlin said that, I'm sure, at some point. And I think he liked this record, too despite the fact that he was a bit of an indie snob. And I say that with love. And I said this earlier in the countdown when I was playing Andrew WK. I think people in general that were a little hip and cool and then hipster journalists and stuff like that, I think they liked the darkness coming out of the gate because they thought they were making fun of rock and roll and being a parody of it, something to nudge, nudge, wink, wink kind of thing. And not that they maybe weren't, but they were also the real deal in the sense that they were fans of rock and roll and they just happened to stumble upon something that people really kind of wanted to see and hear at that time specifically. So it just kind of hit on all cylinders. After a while, when the smoke cleared, the real fans stayed and everybody else left the party. And that's fine. I feel bad for them in the sense of they should be playing bigger places on the overall now, but that's just how it is. That's the biz. Uh, but there you go. There's my train of thought Wikipedia on how the darkness was perceived and how it went down in 2003. But it doesn't take away from the fact that 20 years later, Permission to Land is still heralded as just one of those albums that really shook it up in the rock world. And I dig that. And I still like this record. It's not a perfect album. I've heard people say that it is. I don't think it's perfect, but I like enough about it to put it here in the top 20. So for the number 17 album, Permission to Land... Here's a band led by one of the absolute best YouTubers doing it right now, Justin Hawkins. And here is The Darkness with Growing On Me. I can't get rid of you I don't know what 
the darkness right there with growing on me from their debut album permission to land and i've often mentioned anytime i will use wikipedia to help out on these countdowns is that little factoid window where it says who produced it and what label it's on the date it came out supposedly and all that kind of stuff but every now and then i flip down to the window that's got all of the major critical ratings of an album it almost looks like a Clash album or something like that or a classic Stooges record. It's like four stars across the board for the most part with, of course, The Enemy ranking it lower than anybody else. Like it is 7 out of 10. And then you got Pitchfork, who my favorite site, Sarcasm, and they've got it at 8.4 out of 10, which is in any kind of reality, especially any album post-2000. It's damn near a miracle that an album that I like is ranked higher than an eight on pitchfork which goes to show you that i think my theory is proof positive of that being an actual thing okay album number 16 right here another perennial favorite on rock strikes 10 and that would be rancid who pops up quite a bit on these album countdowns and i remember when this album came out in 2003 the album is called indestructible and it was actually produced by brett gerowitz from bad religion a guy that they were doing a lot of business with still at that point lifelong epitaph guys 
So that all makes sense. And this is kind of one of the more personable albums because a lot of bad things had happened to the band between this release and the previous album, the self-titled Rancid album in 2000. Yes, they also have two self-titled records as well. Both quite good. But yeah, a bunch of crazy, horrible things happened between those three years. Not directly related to them, but of course a big blow to anybody who loves rock and roll and especially classic punk rock. You got the death of Joey Ramone and the death of Joe Strummer happening between those three years. Also, within the band, Lars Fredrickson had lost his brother at that point, I think a couple of years before this album came out. And Tim Armstrong got divorced from Brody from the Distillers at this time as well. And so there's a couple of songs, if not a handful of songs in this album, that are about that divorce and his relationship with her. So there's a lot of on-the-nose stuff on this record. Uh, honestly, I think at the time, for my taste and just what I was kind of listening to, this album didn't get a ton of play for me. I remember liking a handful of songs on it. But this is one of those albums, like a few other ones on this countdown, where I like the album a lot better now than I did when it came out. There's some true standout tracks on here. Of course, the big launch single on it, Fall Back Down, which deals with a divorce. Uh, Spirit of 87 is such a killer, kick-ass song, and I damn near used that one to represent the album here on the countdown, but I gotta go with this one. This was my favorite from the moment the album dropped, and it's still my favorite song on the record. I believe this was the second single released off of it, but I do like it when they ska it up a bit, honestly, and, and not that they're not great at aggro punk rock, but... Man, I just think that they just lock in perfectly as a band when they go a little bit lighter. That's me. What can I say? I'm a bit of a pop guy as well. I, I like that kind of song structure. Sue me. But, of course, I love the heavy stuff too. But, yeah, I think you'll know what I mean playing this track right here. You get a little bit of the time bomb feel to it, but it really reminds me of something that could have been on the Life Won't Wait album, which is my personal favorite album of theirs. It's their Sandinista. So, here you go. From Indestructible, this is Rancid with the great Red Hot Moon. Check it out. Let's say we spend a lot of time hanging out I always thought it's so that she'd be 
my time to go, it's not my time to die The last thing I want is for my mother to cry It was love at first light, the very first night Things have never been the same since I took my first flight The way I live my life, my love, I live lavish You lost me from the start, you lose, you'll never have this Untouched, unleashed, back up, you don't want it Sticking for his cash, it's bad, now we fought it Take to it pass, I take to it blast Bust the motherfucker, I'm out of the smack Dipped out, high as fuck, I'm out of control Let the bounce rock, yeah, man, I'm ready to roll Okay, yeah, a bit of an oddball choice for the song in a sense, and that contains the debut recording appearance of this guy, Skinhead Bob, who was a roadie for Rancid and like best friends with Tim Armstrong. They wound up forming the Transplants together as this experimental punk hip-hop hybrid. But there you have it. That was Rancid, my favorite song off of Indestructible, the song Red Hot Moon. A lot of fun right there. Nice little swagger in your step with that one. And speaking of which, someone that always had a lot of swagger, especially in his early albums, and had a chance to replicate that in 2003. Because in 2003, for the first time in 23 years, Joe Jackson recorded an album with his original band, a band that was responsible for the first three albums, and probably not even arguably his best albums at that point. So back here for Volume 4 in 2003, of course, Joe Jackson, Gary Sanford, David Hewton, and Graham Maybe, who Graham was the longtime bass player for Joe. He never left his side, much like a, a Nigel Olsen or a Jimmy Chamberlain. If he was recording a record or touring, Graham was there, like 100%. So, yeah, it was just cool. He got the band back together. I remember buying this when it came out. And I don't believe I had any kind of high expectations at the time, honestly. I thought that Joe might have strayed so far away from his original sound that even getting the mates back together, I don't know if it would have really helped. But I think it did. Like, this sounds like something on par with the first three albums. It sounds like a follow-up to Beat Crazy. So I love it, man. And I still listen to it quite a bit. One of the better comeback slash reunion albums of all time for my money. And bonus points for me, I actually had the wherewithal to go see this band on their one and only tour as a reunion. So I'm so glad I went to go see that. I saw that at Deep Ellum Live. Great place to go see them. I saw a lot of great punk rock shows there. And just to go see them in this kind of pseudo CD place, a place I saw a lot of cool bands. And it was just a great night, man. A perfect perfect set list i could tell you about a handful of shows i've seen where the set list is just perfect and they leave like nothing out and that was one of those shows i actually have a physical set list from that that i got off the sound guy still have it so yes uh, much much nostalgia for this record but listening to it for the first time in a few years it really holds up in my opinion i think you should give it a shot and judging by the sales and just the fact that it was distributed through Ryko disc i don't think many people heard it so you should go listen to this record, Volume 4 from the Joe Jackson Band. This one's like a little over halfway past the record, but 
I've always liked this one. It's got definitely a classic UK glam swing to it. So here you go from a great record volume four by the Joe Jackson band. This is little bit stupid. little nod there to one of my all-time favorite songs in Blockbuster by The Sweet. Fading out there at the end, you can hear them kind of go for that. But yes, that was a little bit stupid by the Joe Jackson Band off of Volume 4. If you still buy physical, there's a nice limited, possibly out of print at this point, two-disc version of that record. It's got an EP's worth of live tracks recorded by that band. 
And for extra, extra credit, there's a cool live album from that tour called Afterlife. So go get that as well. You can hope to just get an idea of what I got to experience, which I had the honor of experiencing. Okay, speaking of vetted acts from the UK, this one right here, man, a prime example of a veteran band who puts out this fucking banger of a record at the tail end of their career, because if I have it right, this is the last album to date that this band has put out. And if it winds up being their last of a record, then they went out on a crazy good note right here. And I'm talking about a band that's been kicking around since the late 60s, and that would be the great King Crimson. So full disclosure and full honesty, I consider myself to be a big fan of King Crimson, but and, you know, occasionally some of these records don't wind up on the countdowns because they might have a couple of songs that I really like and the rest of it, it's kind of hard to rate sometimes their records and then sometimes I just don't wind up loving the whole thing. I could name you off four records that you definitely just gotta have by them. And I would make this the fifth one out of that list. The Power to Believe from 2003. And I would say not even arguably their heaviest album really embracing that they wound up influencing a handful of acts from 1990 and beyond, like Dream Theater, like Tool, bands like that. And I want to say at some point, Tool brought them out for a small mini tour, at least a couple of dates, where they co-headlined together because they're such big fanboys of them. But off of that momentum, they put out this record, Power to Believe, and it's just, it's just great. It's phenomenal. Since they always seem to be having sort of a rotating lineup, the lineup for this one, you got two major player principals back in Robert Fripp and Adrian Ballou. And rounding out the band, you got Pat Mastelotto on drums and Trey Gunn on bass. So, yeah. But check this damn record out if you even are remotely prog. But honestly, I don't think you have to be so into prog to really wrap your head around this record. It does have prog arrangements on it. But the flow on this album is just tremendous. So good. And there were two especially crazy good songs on this record. I was like, man, I can only play one song. So I basically coin flipped it during the Joe Jackson song. So since I'm already saying listen to the whole thing top to bottom, and make sure you set aside that time because it doesn't stop playing. It's about 50 minutes exactly. So set aside the time to listen to this one and just roll through it. It's great. Okay, so let me get you something to hopefully entice you to listen to it. And I think this is the better choice out of the two if you've never heard anything off of it. Because the other one's romantic and heavy and it's got crazy odd time signatures and I love it. And this one is the exact opposite. This one is almost kind of a ballad really. But it's great. So check it out. From The Power to Believe, this is The Great King Crimson with Eyes Wide Open.
Coming in at number 14 right there, that was King Crimson from the album The Power to Believe, and that was Eyes Wide Open. Hope you enjoyed that. Anytime I can play a quality ballad through the midst of all these heavy rockers and stuff like that that I tend to lean on, I go for it because it it just brings nice variety to the show. And I'm going to do that sort of here. This is a neo ballad coming up, but I really dig this one as well. This album, man, I don't understand... Fans don't seem to love it too much, and critics didn't like it. And not that this band was ever a critics band, but I figured at this point in 2003, this band would start to get heralded a little bit, especially when it comes to the fact that they put out real quality material here just a little over 25 years after their debut album. But yeah, Cheap Trick in 2003. Hardcore fans of the band really dig that 97 self-titled record, and I like it really well. But I think that was the beginning of the momentum of putting out really, really good records. And I think Special One, right here in 2003 by Cheap Trick, was an even better album than that. That's me. I'd probably get crucified for that statement from certain sections of the Cheap Trick fan base. But eh, whatever, fuck it. Special One is awesome. I've got a lot of great memories of that record. And I easily saw that tour more than any other album on this countdown. Because as far as I'm concerned, if the band hasn't put a new record out yet, then they're still on that tour, especially when it comes to Cheap Trick, who's always touring. So they toured real heavy on this record for about three years straight. I'm pretty sure I saw them at least three or four times in that run. (laughs) So yeah, a lot of great memories, but man, just put on this record and it is a joy still. And I think it sounds even better than it did when it came out which should be saying something. And if you heard this album when it came out and you only heard it once, maybe twice, then go listen to it again. You're going to have to do the heavy lifting and possibly even get a physical copy of it. I guess you can listen to it on YouTube if you must, but go out of your way to check out Special One by Cheap Trick because it is what it says it is. It's special. And for something that was recorded sporadically in different studios all over the country and has a handful of different producers on it, it should sound like a mess, but I, I think it's got a great order and sequence to it. So, yeah, what else can I say? This one right here, I actually was like, well, there's so many producers on the album. I wanted to see who produced this track that I'm going to play because I'm going to feature the title track here, special one. And lo and behold, it's the lone song on the record that was produced by their longtime producer associate friend, Jack Douglas who had a hand in producing a lot of Aerosmith records, some of the more heralded ones for sure, worked on an Alice Cooper record or two, at least one, and did a handful of stuff with John Lennon, which Jack brought in some of the Cheap Trick guys to work on some of those John Lennon records there right before he passed away. And I swear I did not remember that he had produced this song. This is the one I picked way in advance when I did this last listen for it. So yay. I mean, this goes all the way from Jack Douglas to Steve Albini also produces some songs on here, which he had worked with them before. And even the last two songs, I believe, on the record, which is a group of songs that flow together, Dan the Automator has a hand in it. So, And it, it doesn't suck for them. Dan the Automator responsible for some of the more interesting dance-oriented hip-hop and just cool underground-type hip-hop indie stuff from the 2000s and beyond. The guy's a real talented producer. So, yeah, he, he works on a couple of songs on here, too. But I dig it. So Special One is great. So let's get into it right here. Here is the title track from Special One. Enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. 
You know what my favorite Robin Zander vocal track of all time is? It's all of them. No, I'm sort of kidding, but damn, man. You listen to a song like that, and if I said that's the best vocal that Robin Zander ever pulled, I don't think you'd fight me on it, because that was freaking stellar. Band sounds just locked in, so good. Just a damn near flawless band, and that's a damn near flawless record for me right there. Special one by Cheap Trick. Go seek that out. A couple more weird random facts here that tie into this. I remember this album special one because they, they had started their own Cheap Trick Records label at the time, and they had put out some stuff for it prior to this, but this is the first time they went for like big distribution because the other ones have been almost like website only, like like the Silver album, for instance, and it got in stores because that's how I got it, but I remember this one. It was under the Cheap Trick Records banner, but they went with this new label that I had never heard of called Big Three Records, which later became Big Machine Records. So if I have it right, that means that a handful of Cheap Trick Records sort of helped finance the budding career of Taylor Swift. So, sorry, Baco. Uh, And you're welcome, Greg Chorian. So, there you have it. And talking about all these shows that I saw during that special one tour, I was going through my head Rolodex and, and opening up to look at the producer credit before that, and the ticket stubs just start falling out of the booklet. I'm like, ah, yes, I always leave gifts for myself in these things and yeah my ticket stuff from billy bobs and from next stage grand prairie and i know i saw him open for aerosmith around this time probably oh four oh five something like that for that one and i think it was in oh three if i have it right they played a free show like a 9-11 memorial concert and i think i've talked about this before but just in case randomly enough the last time I ever saw Dimebag and Vinnie Paul on stage was playing at the very end of the Cheap Trick set that night in Fort Worth. It's the last time I ever saw those guys on stage. So yeah, special, for sure. Okay, I, I gotta say, between this album and these next two albums, I was just like, how are these not in the top ten? It's crazy. Like, And also these next two songs, honestly, I'm just kind of cooling the show down supposedly, but the quality is still very high. I kind of chose ballads here, and I didn't do that on purpose, but it does fit because this top 10 I got coming up, it's going to rock your face off. So we need a few more ballads before we get into the top 10. So right here, coming in at number 12, nice tie-in to Cheap Trick because Bunny Carlos would actually wind up collaborating with a member of this band to put out a really good one and done, which will get a vinyl release finally in 2024 with Tinted Windows. And I'm talking about, yes, that means I'm talking about the great Fountains of Wayne. They are definitely having a moment in 2003 with this album. Welcome Interstate Managers. I'm sure that people, including my wife, by the way, are really pissed off at me right now that this album is not in the top 10. I am shocked that this album is not in the top 10. Uh, So yeah, no, I get it. This is one of my favorite albums of 2003. But like I said at the top of this countdown, this countdown includes some of my all-time favorite albums ever. And really, starting with this top 20, we're in this zone. It's high-level shit. So yes, Welcome Interstate Managers somehow wound up at number 12 here on my countdown. Have you heard this record or have you just heard Stacy's Mom? By the way, not hating on Stacy's Mom. It's a fucking great, perfect, fun pop song 
with a kick-ass video to boot. And you know what I'm talking about. Got it bad, got it bad. And then a, a collective group of men and women both watched that video and said, what the fuck is wrong with you, Rod Stewart? You couldn't hold on to that one, huh? But yeah. No, I actually kind of found out a few years after this that she was a little crazed out. So anyway... But enough, Rachel Hunter. Let's get back to Fountains of Wayne and their big breakout record, Welcome Interstate Managers. Just pop rock perfection, man. Songwriting perfection. What these guys did, and of course, Adam Schlesinger, the late, great Adam Schlesinger, what these guys did on this record. It's nothing new to us as longtime fans, but yeah, they just hit that stride, and they had that one huge song to put it over the top and get it in people's hands. And I hope people took the time to listen to this whole record. It's a bit of a long record, actually, but it never really lets up as far as quality goes. There's only like a couple of songs on it that I, I probably would have cut off, but that's nitpicking. The Matter feels an up-tempo pop rock ditty or a very introspective ballad such as this one right here. So to represent Welcome Interstate Managers by Fountains of Wayne, I'm going to play you this one right here, All Kinds of Time. running down the team's losing ground to the opposing defense the young quarterback waits for the snap when suddenly it all starts to make sense he's got all kinds of time he's got all kinds of time all kinds of time He's got all kinds of time All kinds of time He takes a step back He's under attack But he knows that no one can touch him now so it is a strange inner peace is all that he's feeling somehow 
Okay, yes, Founds and Wayne right there with all kinds of time from Welcome Interstate Managers, our number 12 grown, our number 12 album here on the countdown. I promised you one more ballad and I'm going to deliver with kind of a full circle moment here because if I have it right, I believe I've already played this song this year on a different countdown and that would have had to have been the 1973 countdown. So when I was talking about the George Harrison album in 73, I played this song and I'll play the exact same song, which was covered on our number 11 album here. And as I talked to you about this album on the birthday of this late great here, it's never less painful to say it every time, but David Bowie. And by the way, as as podcasters, I, I realize sometimes doing these countdowns that I kind of go into DJ mode instead of podcaster mode. But let's go into podcaster mode a little bit. Let me tell you a couple of opinions that may prove to be unpopular, but I'm going to tell you my honest truth here, which this opinion always buries me with any of my hip and cool friends. But this album right here, Reality, from 2003 by David Bowie, is, in my opinion, the last great David Bowie album for me. It's the last one that I really, really like top to bottom. I have tried so many times to get into The Next Day and Black Star, and I've just been unable to do it. They just do not resonate with me. I don't enjoy them. I appreciate the fact that David seems to really like them, and those were really his final goodbyes. And maybe for that reason, that's why I don't like him so much. And I'm not trying to say it's bad art, but it's just not for me. Reality is my last favorite David Bowie record. I remember when this came out, I instantly even liked it better than Heathen. And I like Heathen a lot. Uh, But this one, it's just more straightforward. It's more fun. So yeah, listen to a song like Never Get Old, which I was going to totally play to represent this album. But I was like, let's have that fun full circle moment here. There's two covers on this album. One of them is the Modern Lover song, Pablo Picasso, and this one right here, which this one's so good, I feel like it almost should have closed the record because I'm using it to close the show here tonight, so that's how I feel about it. So, like I said, I played this song on the 73 countdown, and I'm playing it here again on the 2003 countdown. So let's have that moment. And Man, this is such a great cover. And I I know for sure, there's no way he didn't. David was paying tribute to George, who had passed a couple of years before this. And it's just so good. So enjoy this right here on David Bowie's birthday. Not even kidding about that. So here is the late, great icon, David Bowie, covering the late, great icon, George Harrison's Try Some, Buy Some. Here you go. We're back in time. Someone said try some. I tried some, now buy some, I bought some Ooh. After a while, when I tried them, denied them I opened my eyes and I saw you Not a thing did I have Not a thing did I see Till I called on your love And your love came to me 
fly I've seen grey sky met Big fry seen them die To get high oh, oh, oh. And when it seemed that I would only be lonely I opened my eyes and I saw Not a thing did I feel Not a thing did I know Till I called on your love And your love sure did go Closing off the show here tonight and coming in at number 11 here on the top 50 albums of 2003. That was the man right there, David Bowie, from his record called Reality. And that was George Harrison's Try Some, Buy Some. I know I mentioned the Never Get Old song. Go look that one up. That's a great, great song and a great single. Uh, A true anthem and statement. And he will never get old at this point. So we got that going for us. And so does he. Forever cool, man. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode. How could you not? This 20 through 11 right here, this part four or five, could be easily the top 10 albums of 2003. And if it's on someone else's list that way, great. You have a great list right there. I got some stuff in store for you here on the top 10. Some all-timers, like I said. And in this episode, I had some other all-timers. But we're just going to keep going This next 10 is going to rule. I keep saying it, but I promise I'm delivering on it. So stick with me here. Can't wait to bring you this next one right here. So until then, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, with the plugs. 
and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on SiriusXM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Game show is brought to you by Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it.